This is the Roaring Elephant Podcast for the 21st of August 2018, a podcast about Apache Hadoop and the surrounding ecosystem for anyone working with or investigating big data and advanced analytics. My name is Dave, and here is my slow news co-host, Jon. <laughs> what are you talking about slow news? I got all the articles today. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but but let's face it, there was there was a, a heavy degree of barrel scraping going yeah, on. It was a struggle. I mean, it's the end of the summer, at least in this hemisphere. Yeah, it's it's news. It's dead period for news. Definitely the big data. Everybody's on hook. Everybody's, everybody's on vacation. Why are we doing this? We should be on vacation. I don't know. We should. We absolutely should. But we're not. No, we're, we're providing our service. <laughs> Sounds like it's a chore. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you said it, not me. Anyway. <sighs> well, it's a for all listeners, probably. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, anyway. Yeah, in between the two Apache Pulsar episodes, we have a news episode, as usual. Or should be expected, anyway. Yep. And it's going to be a little bit of a short one, because, as we already mentioned, it's been a slow news day. So, unless you have anything specific you want to talk about first... I don't think so. Let's uh, jump and, uh, into our slow news week. Yeah, the first little thing I grabbed is uh, just a little mention, actually. Um, we've talked about the new version of uh, Hadoop, uh, the 3.0, 3.1 uh, stream, stream sorry, to have uh, support for GPUs, and they're having some blogs out. And at the moment, there's actually a blog series on the Hortonworks site that talks about this specifically. And I'll have a link in the show notes here about one of those, which is first-class GPU support in Apache Hadoop 3.1, Yarn and HTTP 3.0 by Wagdatan. And I replaced the name of the second person by his Twitter handle because I was being productive. So let me look it up. Vinod Kumar Vavilapali. And basically, it's what you'd expect. also co-authored by Zian Shen and Sunil Govardhan. Well. Yeah, but they didn't have a link in there, so they don't get a mention from me. I'm sorry. <laughs> also, the, the Twitter becomes too long at that point, so I can't add five people. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, the, apart from having a, a nice screen grab from, I think it's Snow White, which is the first time I've seen any kind of a Disney affiliation with Hadoop. Um, the thing here is that it actually is the first time I saw a real uh, script or command line for how do you actually start a yarn container or a docker yarn container with GPU support. So if you, anybody wants to play around with it and wants to have a nice cut and paste uh, command line, it's in there at the bottom of it. Apart from that, it also talks a bit about a quite important topic, which I was actually wondering how you're going to solve this, and that's the isolation of workloads. Mm-hmm. And I've actually lived through that problem myself when, uh, oh, years ago I did a cloud project where we actually built a public cloud and we wanted to actually do this, share GPUs across different VMs. And on networking cards and InfiniBand cards, that was actually a thing that was dealt with using the uh, um, uh, S, uh, single root IO visualization, SRIOV. That's yeah, what I was looking for. Yeah, SRIOV. And still works today, works well. Yeah, yeah. And actually allows you to put firewalls on the on the virtual network interfaces, let's say. Yeah. But on the GPU side, that's not even on the picture, on the roadmap or anything else there. So actually what they're doing now is you can only have full GPUs. Now, I didn't get from this article, maybe you can enlighten me if you know more, but typically the cards from uh, NVIDIA, which basically is the cards that are being used for uh, GPU learning and stuff, they have two GPUs on those uh, Quadra cards or the uh, the Tensor cards and stuff. 
Typically, if you look at the PCI, um, PCI parts towards those cards, you have a part for every individual chip, and it should be possible to have them separately shared. And as I talked about just now in my uh, cloud days, I knew how in um, KVM on the Red Hat, you could actually have one of those chips on the cards shared with one VM as a, mm. a pass-through. So I would assume that this would also be possible here, but I don't need to talk about it. I keep talking about one GPU without saying if it's a GPU card or GPU chip. I'm assuming chip, but I, I'm not sure. Yeah, I, I wouldn't assume chip, actually. I would assume card. I don't I don't think the level of granularity has got that advanced within um, Yarn's ability to do that scheduling, unfortunately. I, I, not would, yet. I would expect for the, maybe not for the Yarn one, but for the Docker one, I know Docker is using a lot of the same kind of approaches that VMs do because it has to be kind of a drop-in replacement. Yeah, yeah. So I'm pretty sure, and maybe if we look at the command line more clearly. So yeah, that's still one thing I'm looking I'm looking for, and I would love to try it out, but uh, I don't have a, a GPU-enabled uh, cluster on my desk just yet. <laughs> Surely you can just spin up, spin one up in Azure. Um, yes, I could, I guess, but... Uh, you actually enter a secondary problem there where the GPU will already be virtualized in the VM, and then I want to pseudo-virtualize it again into a Docker container. So you get kind of a double... It's not representative, let me say it that way. I mean, we've talked before that if you're running a Hadoop cluster in the cloud for the cloud, uh, flexibility and stuff, that's great. If that's working for you, do that. I mean, it has pros yeah. and cons. Make a decision. But having your own data center uh, chassis servers virtualized with something like, I don't know, VMware and having Hadoop run on that VMware cluster, that makes a lot less sense. So it's not really something I think is representative if I would, if I would try it in, uh, um, as you call it, in, in Azure at the moment. So, yeah, anyway. GPUs in Hadoop, it's a thing, and apparently it's becoming secure and safe, but there's still some work in progress. And as I said, there's yeah. a nice uh, slew of uh, blogs coming out from the committers, from the Hadoop committers, on the, and they're on the Hotmark site at the moment. So uh, if you're interested in that kind of stuff, have a read. And just for clarification, the image from the movie at the top is actually Hell's Moving Castle, not Snow White. There we go. Hell's Moving Castle, never heard of it. <laughs> it really looks like the, snow, the witch from Snow White. <laughs> you can say what you want. Unfortunately, not. And with that, on to the next, I think. Um, yeah. Okay. Next one I found on Twitter. Twitter is actually being uh, helpful for once. Well, more than once. It's an article on the Medium blog site. It's from Elliot West, who's working for hotels.com. And this is an article that um, kind of came close to home for me because I was actually in communication with a customer that had this exact problem. And what's the problem, you might ask? Well, the title is Replicating Big Data Sets in the Cloud, which is not entirely what the article is about because it's about replicating big data sets to the cloud, more likely. Because if I look at this, they're pretty much going from on-prem to a cloud environment, from a HDFS file system on a bunch of nodes. A bunch no, of that's, that's, that's not strictly true. No? They, so they, they've, there's a matrix further on down that has source file system as either HDFS, S3, yeah, okay. Google Compute Storage, and then destination can be um, 
uh, HDFS or S3. Yeah, but HFS could also be an HFS in the cloud, of course. Yeah. Let me say it differently. In my experience, this question mostly props up when people do hybrid cloud, what do hybrid compute, yeah. hybrid Hadoop. You have some stuff on-premise. You want to also use some cloud advantages there. And again, nothing is perfect. So a mix of both usually gives you a better result than one, of, one only. So the question is usually, how do I get a copy of my data that I have on-premise into that cloud? And more importantly, keep it up to date without any kind of corruption or partial uh, partial copies and uh, hopefully also in an incremental fashion so I don't have to copy a petabyte a day. Yep. Which as a cl- on a cloud side we don't really mind if you do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, from a from a revenue perspective I'm sure you'd love that to happen uh, from a uh... Yeah, but s- sadly if you if you, if you advise people to do that we kind of dis- they, they kind of disappear at that point. So we've yeah. learned not to do that. Well, we never <laughs> did that, to be honest. <laughs> but anyway, uh, back to the article. Uh, Elliot West is actually uh, one of the committers to the Circus Train open source tool, which you can find on GitHub. It's an Apache project. I think you told me it's an Apache license now. Yeah, it's Apache licensed. It's not Apache governed, just to, okay. just to be clear. Yeah, good, good distinction. And that's also, yeah, what you would expect, because at the moment, the number of committers is kind of small. It's like five yeah. or seven or something. So they probably don't have a, a large enough community to be a real Apache project there, but it's yeah, Apache yeah. license. Seven, seven committers, and certainly the strong suspicion is that they're all from the Hotels.com group. Yeah, because this is basically a problem that they had, and they looked at existing stuff and didn't really find something that really worked for them. And they built a solution, and as good open source people do, put it on GitHub so other people can use it too. Mm-hmm. Now, also, they have been talking about this because uh, we both kind of missed it, but uh, we found that they had a talk at the DataWorks Summit in Berlin about yep. Circus Train. Uh, we looked at the description of the talk, and yeah, lo- reading that one, it didn't really appeal to me, so I probably, probably just dis- discarded it as, yeah, whatever. But if I had known that this was in it, <laughs> I would probably have gone there. <laughs> yeah, and isn't that a lesson on making sure that your that yeah. the, the sort of the talk uh, description is as uh, as punchy as possible? Because it, if they'd have uh, perhaps described it a little bit better, I think maybe well, certainly I would have been more interested in it as well. But uh, yeah, but it's also a hard go. thing, right? If you have to write some one of those abstracts, it needs to be catchy and hype, and there needs to be enough buzzwords in there so that you. <laughs> that you have a chance to do the talk. Yep. And you obviously, that also means you can't be really punchy to the point. Mm-hmm. But, well, anyway, good good part is that apart from the article that we'll have a link to in the show notes, there's also a YouTube video of their uh, presentation at the summit and yep. also a slide share out there. So there's plenty of information out there. So, anyway, if you actually just read the article, it's uh, pretty much in-depth already. So you should have already a good idea if it's something that interests you. And if you need more information... YouTube and SlideShare can help further. Yeah, I think some of the stuff that I would just mention that I really quite like the way they've handled it is things like they they read the the metadata and they read the uh, you know, this is primarily for replicating Hive data, but yeah. they they read the metadata, they read the actual data itself, then they write the snapshot through to S3, and they transform the metadata. And only at that point do they then notify mm-hmm. that the data has been updated. To I just think it's really neat the way that they've ensured that no one should be able to see sort of partially complete data at any yeah. point in time. 
Um, yeah, consistency was a very high priority for them to make sure that data yeah. scientists uh, didn't uh, have half parts of uh, data sets and stuff. Yeah, and, and uh, the other thing that the other thing I noticed that we both had a, a bit of a chuckle about when we were scanning through this earlier is that it also has native support for SSH tunneling, which. On the one hand, I think, oh, really? That's 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 quite. <laughs> it br- brings me flashbacks from uh, from from a long time ago. But it at works. The same, well, exactly. At the same time, it works, and often, uh, as I think you mentioned, John, when we were talking about this earlier, sometimes it's just the only way to get a direct port connection to uh, some of these services when they're sort of behind a variety of different interesting. Uh, um, barriers of various descriptions. So. Yeah, it's getting worse as well because at the moment, what I'm seeing out there uh, as living in the cloud world is that when big companies make the step to use clouds solely or hybridly or whatever whatever fashion they do it, it's a moment where they really revisit their whole security environment and then they automatically get a kind of, I don't know exaggerated reaction that we need to close everything, zero trust, everything close unless it's really necessary. And quite often doing an SSH tunnel becomes mandatory because also don't forget that these this, uh, uh, I was going to say train wreck, but it's not train wreck, <laughs> circus train. Circus train. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, circus train, they actually use this CP behind the covers, which does a lot of uh, point-to-point connections to a lot of different URLs and stuff, and you're got, never going to get any kind of firewall to open up that much. Yeah. So they 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 also use, um, you know, they customized a version of this CP specifically for um, S3 Additional um, functionality. Um, uh, they, they started correct. off using. They started off. They started off. Yeah, they started off using the uh, the version of S3 DCP, but they they didn't like the fact that it didn't have a lot of the functionality mm-hmm. DCP has natively. So they ended up creating a, a new sub project which extends DCP. But it yeah. sounds like because of the new features and functionality that have gone into DCP. Of late, they are now reviewing whether or not they can use the current version of this CP again yeah, and yeah, move yeah, back yeah. to that. Yeah, but they were definitely they moved away from the S3 version of it because it was just too too limited for them. Yeah, yeah, which makes sense. I mean, Amazon gives you a closed source uh, solution and they can build the tool specifically for that. I mean, yeah, it's not in their interest to make it uh, more flexible, I guess. Anyway, there's also been. Yeah. Oh, you want to say something? No, no. I was just going to say, but yeah, <laughs> nice, nice project, yeah. um, nice tool. It's it's really well described. Yeah. Um, uh, you also looked at take a look at the uh, took a look at the documentation. You said it was pretty well documented mm. as well. So they really look, uh, have polished this enough so that other people can actually see if it's useful and uh, start using it. And it's something that's going to have a good audience, I think, because. Synchronizing your data sets between on-prem and cloud, or between two clouds, even because if you go cloud only, you will probably go dual cloud or even three cloud if you want to. Yeah, this kind of thing is something that really, really works. I mean, how often did you get the question? If I have my Hadoop cluster, if I have one on two places, can I have one HDFS file system? Yeah, all the time. All the time, right? And the answer is no. By the way. Well, it's a yes, but you shouldn't. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yes, but please don't. Please, please, please don't. So, unless you want to lose your data. Yeah. But they've got, yeah, I think so the, the uh, it is fairly well documented. I mean, it's basically a large 
um, when I say documented, it's basically a large readme.md on their <laughs> GitHub. But but even so, it's it does seem to go through a lot of the different parameters and a lot of nice examples of how to use it. There is also um, a mailing list on Google Groups. Mm-hmm. Admittedly, it's not very busy at the moment, but then, you know, I think at the moment this project is very much just a, here's the code, if you're interested, you know, come yeah. and join us and talk to us. I don't think it's it's yet at the point where there's a lot of external mm-hmm. um, external focus, but, you know, this, this is how these projects start, is a group of people to get together and and then see if they can build more of a community around it. So I think it'll be interesting to follow up on Circus Train, you know, in a year or so's time and see what's happened. Also, maybe add that it is not a a totally new thing. They've been around for a while. Uh, They're on version 12 now, which is, uh, well, I had a bit of fun there that they went very fast with their version numbering. But as you said, that's their right. They can do that if they want to. (laughs) But they've been around since uh, 2017-ish, 2016-ish. So 2017 was when they had the first open source release. Obviously, we don't know how long in development it's been been in development before then. But but, uh, around for a little while. Anyway, it should be reasonably matured, I guess. It should be maybe limited in scope still because it's a a one-company solution at the moment. But what they have should be reasonably, uh, yeah, fleshed out, thought out, and uh, stable, I'd say. Yeah, yeah. So um, for anybody in the uh, that is having the problem or is looking at having the problem, because I can assure you it's a fun problem to have, this might be a fun thing to evaluate and uh, see if it works out for you. Indeed. And now, on to a problem I believe that is near and dear to your heart, at least <laughs> given the uh, the trials and tribulations you had setting things up for uh, the DataWorks Summit uh, dashboards that we created. Well, you say trials and tribulations, I say a whole lot of fun, because if you're a bit of a developer and you're able to scrape web pages and start doing regexps to get all the stuff out of there, that's just a lot of fun. But when I was doing my little Twitter scan to see what I could possibly talk about today, I found a little tweet from Adam Geitke, and sorry, I still don't know how to pronounce his name, but I've actually used a couple of his blog posts before. If you haven't seen his blog yet, have a look if you're anyway in any any in any kind of way close to the machine learning neural networking environment. He has a lot of fun stuff that's pretty high level, but explained in a way that even I understand it. So it's a real <laughs> a real good. Uh, source of information there and in this case he actually has a little article which is it's, a, it's just a quick tip it, it's not anything as he says himself is not rocket scientist it's just something he mm. uses a lot and he wanted to share and i'm very thankful because apparently there's a lot of stuff in pandas that makes scraping websites a lot easier and he's giving an example here of having uh, yes you're a researcher you're looking for project uh, data and you're doing scraping the web and you found this site that has all of this historical information you want to scrape and then you spend a couple of hours, well, be honest, a couple of weeks, getting the information out of there. And, uh, yep, this uh, simple things like uh, pandas, read HTML, this is the URL I give it, and it'll scrape that page for all tables and put a nice Python object of that table. That's just brilliant. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, even things like taking it from that to, if you want it as uh, JSON records, then just add another line of, of code and it spits out as JSON instead. Yeah, well, the moment you have the Python object from it, you can do whatever you want with it. And, yeah, uh, yeah. yeah, as you said, for the little da- dashboards I built for uh, the Datework Summit, I had to scrape it all 
that way as well. In the first dashboard I did, I did it by hand every time, just by copying two files and diffing them and seeing what the differences were. That got old soon. So for the San Jose, which had about three times as many sessions, I actually wrote the <laughs> script for that. Uh, but uh, yeah, looking at this, I could have uh, saved myself a lot of work. And it always makes, it always makes me wonder how much I don't know. Uh, a lot. I would, hey, I would nice. guess for, 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 for everybody, the answer is a lot. But that's, yeah, that's why we're sharing these kind of uh, tidbits of information. Yeah. I mean, how do you ever get around without the internet? Yeah, life was tough, <laughs> or at least tougher. Yeah, I also like the little uh, Simpsons uh, image he's got in mm. there. <laughs> if you want to know what image that is, you're going to have to go to the blog post, click on the link supply. And read the article. Indeed. And if you're looking to scrape some scrape some web pages, it could be a very good article to read. Yep, and definitely this is just one example. Apparently Pandas has a lot more fun stuff in there as well. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I think we're we're possibly gonna live up to our bite-sized big data <laughs> moniker today. <laughs> yeah, every cloud silver lining, something like that. Something like that. But as Dave just remarked, this is everything you have for today. We hope you enjoyed this serving of real bite-sized big data. We will be back next week with a new episode. We'll have the second part of the Apache Pulsar uh, interview. Uh, until then, please go to www.roaringalpha.org where you can find more information, including a feedback form. You can also follow us on Twitter using the at Hadoopcast tag where I tweet something from time to time. You can also contact us by email, send emails to podcast at roaringalpha.org with any thoughts, comments, criticisms, and other feedback you may have. Until the next time, my name is John. And my name is Dave. And we look forward to talking to you next week. Bye. See you then.